happy Pride Month. Welcome back to another episode of Librarians with Lattes. I'm your host, Amanda Lau, Outreach and Marketing Librarian here at the University Libraries at UAlbany. Back for round two, we have returning guest library ambassador, Melody Palmer. And joining us for the first time today, Courtney D. Allard, Assistant Director of Intercultural Student Engagement and Coordinator of the Gender and Sexuality Research Center, also known as the GSRC. Thank you both for joining us today, and how is everyone doing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. I think classes are wrapping up or have wrapped up. <laughs> yeah, so we're in June now. Unless you're in summer classes, and then you're just cruising for a bruising. Exactly. <laughs> how are you, Courtney? I'm doing pretty good today. Yeah, I can't complain. I love nice weather. Um, I, I'm a June baby. Oh, Gemini's wow. my month, right? So I get to, not only do I get June, right? But Pride Month, and my birthday is June nineteenth, Juneteenth. Okay. So Which I get we to have off now. Yes, we have. My my mom was happy, but mostly because uh, what an opportunity to have an intersectional conversation about identity and life. I literally get to embody that every time I think about my birthday, and um, <laughs> it's a real it's a real beautiful yeah, moment. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I was I was recently in uh, like a a year or two ago. I was in uh, Burlington. It's really close to my hometown. And they were having like a, a Juneteenth celebration for the first time in, in Burlington. It was really cool to see. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. That's, you know, we're now recognizing that. Um, that's huge and long overdue. So, uh, of course, we start off this show very weirdly asking what everybody uh, is drinking because, you know, librarians with lattes. So, what are you sipping on today? I, I made some like blueberry tea this morning, but other than that, I'm just, I got a water bottle here. Hydration station. <laughs> so for those of you listening, I'm holding a very large cup that, that looks like it is coffee, but it's actually ice water, some soda water in there. Staying hydrated in these yeah. warm months, uh, taking <laughs> care of myself. But I am a uh, early morning uh, Starbucks Pike to Stevia black. There you go. See, I am also a Starbucks person. Um, you know, they've been striking out, though, lately. I will say they've been out of, like, everything. <laughs> that, I mean, I can't imagine. They've also, a lot of places have had to close, right? Like, workers and yeah. employment. It's a tough time. It is. It is. And, you know, supply chain demand and, you know, just being interrupted. Um, so I didn't get my pink drink like I usually have during these. But I do have black tea with raspberry, which is fine. And it is warm because my extra ice has melted already. <laughs> so, just to give you a perspective on how warm it is in the libraries uh, right now. When you're down multiple levels below the ground in the library. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. So let's dive in, shall we, Melody? I'm going to turn it over to you. All right. Thank you. Well, to start off, what is the... What does the GSRC do and offer to students? I know you're involved with the GSRC. Yeah, so I've had the opportunity to be with the GSRC from the beginning, um, from its uh, from its uh, creation. Um, and so the Gender and Sexuality Resource Center really uh, was created by students like yourself who wanted to talk about how gender and sexuality impact our lives, all of our lives, right? And in order to do that, they wanted to have not just a club that um, you know manifests and has leadership throughout the year, uh, during the school year, but something that was a pillar of the university's commitment to that message um, and was available year-round. So the, the GSRC is founded in 2009. Um, it started by students. Students staff it. They still organize it. And the goal is to provide community pride and empowerment to our campus community to talk about these issues and understanding. But um, overall, to specifically 
uh, support those who are at the disproportionately affected by messages of gender and sexuality. And for us, that's the LGBTQ plus community. Um, and even deeper inside of that, LGBTQ plus communities of color, queer and trans people of color, black and indigenous, native, uh, Asian, etc. So those are um, tremendous opportunities that we have to forge uh, a ground where people can come together, talk about these things. And um, how, how long have I been involved? Since 2009, there was one year when I left. I wasn't here. <laughs> and uh, I only came back, right? It does, it pulls you back in. Um, but yeah, so the, that's what the GSRC does. Today we offer internships for course credit. We are just launching a, a peer education program for next academic year. That'll be across all of our areas, multicultural, interfaith, women's. Uh, and gender and sexuality, and those spaces will actually be student leaders that will lead intersectional conversations about all of these things, microaggressions, you can only imagine. Um, so that's a little bit about what we do. Besides being just, you know, I like to say we leave our lights on. You know, we don't want someone coming to the center because something's happening, right? Like there's, they're having, they're struggling or something's going on in their life. Um, I hope that they never have to come to the center for a, a need, right? And we know that those things are happening. And so at least, at very least, um, there's some place to go. And that's why we keep our light on. But through that, we get to empower and connect with students from all different backgrounds and, and departments and you know, use the university resources to, to say, what do you wanna talk about? What do we need to talk about on this campus? Mm -hmm. I know when, when I first came to UAlbany, I sought out the GSRC pretty quick. It was one of my first priorities to go and talk to people there, see like what they're all about. Yeah, I'm so glad. <laughs> yeah, it was a, cause I, I didn't have like a lot of like resources like that in my, my hometown. I mean, I um, I ran the GSA at my school for like like three years, um, but it was uh, it was it was small. But we had our 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 own small group there. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that's a lot of doing the work in your own community is not easy, right? Mm -hmm. And yet it's necessary work. And those of us in our communities are usually the ones that feel the most empowered and passionate about it yeah. as well. So your, your story is not, not the only one. Students who come here from all over are usually the ones that were the leaders on their own campus. It's one of the ways we survive is creating spaces we need for ourselves while simultaneously creating space for others. That's right. powerful. I've been, I've been trying to like, I don't know, like give back to the community more because I, I I'm also involved with uh, uh, QChat space if you ever heard of that yeah yeah I, I work as a, a QChatter awesome and, uh, I guess this is my my last year I'm able to do it because I'm aging out of the uh, queer youth <laughs> hey level up not yeah. aging out <laughs> leveling up yeah right yeah, uh, but, become a peer educator for the campus yeah but maybe one day if I can stay involved with QChat space and maybe be a facilitator one day. Absolutely. <laughs> Instead of a QChatter. Yeah, we have alums that have gone into all different kinds of sectors of the LGBTQ plus community and outside of it. Uh, Trevor Project, um, uh, Glisten, GLAD, uh, you know, HRC, the local chapters of Pride Center here in our own voices. These are all led by UAlbany alums in a lot of different ways. So the, you, have a, you have a great legacy to continue to follow in. <laughs> Well, thanks. Uh, what has your uh, career journey been like? What has my career journey been like? Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> Where do I start? Yeah. I'll tell you, I, I never expected to be here, let alone in a basement. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No just windows. Kidding. You know, the, um, the GSRC started in like a, a third floor, you know, kind of 
side area, 200 square feet. That was actually just as big as the, as the first one. It is exactly this big. And, um, and it's grown exponentially. And now we are like right in, in the middle of the campus center, which is it's not something that I imagined. You know, when you start these things, a lot of the times for us, um, in the LGBT community, we're often forging the spaces we need, right? And so you can't ever necessarily know where that will lead you. Um, how did I get here? Yeah. I like to say that there's a lot of reasons why I shouldn't be here. <laughs> and maybe only a few why I am, right? Because um, I didn't have this vision as a young person. You know, you had a club or a club that you created or the club that you began to lead. You saw other leaders. In, in middle school, high school. Now they're starting GSAs in middle school. I think that's amazing. That's because a lot of the first dances and things like that happen around middle school. A lot of courting rituals that many people have. Um, so having that conversation early is, is awesome. But I didn't have those things. I didn't have um, an idea of what that looked like as you as you got older. In a lot of ways, the message was, do we get older? Do we grow up? <laughs> Uh, what does that look like? And um, trying to be something that you can't see can feel impossible. So I struggled a lot in high school because I was out at 15 or 16 years old and, um, and then became a target. So, and, and we know, and you know, I'm a sociologist by trade now, uh, and part of sociology is understanding how our history, our own biography is connected to history. Right. And my life has been shaped by all of the different leaders throughout time and, and, and the institutions that I've had to pass through, including my under my high school experience, which was not a good one. Um, I barely made it through the high school and I didn't want to go to college because it was a gendered space um, because I didn't see older students as people who were nice to me. Um, why would I want to go or leave or live in dorms? Um, so uh, I went to community college for a few years and I became a leader there. There were other LGBT student leaders. There was LGBT student leaders on that campus. And I would actually come to hang out here at UAlbany with the Pride Alliance people because we would try to forge these cross-university bonds of clubs, you know, because community colleges don't usually have the biggest <laughs> following and we're not on campus, so you really have to go. But there's something about the LGBTQ community that draws us together. Mm -hmm. And so it was, it was easy to find and uh, seeing all the amazing things that students were doing on this campus was very inspiring. Um, and so after a couple of years, I actually applied to UAlbany to transfer and nobody was more surprised than me when I got in. <laughs> uh, and I ended up um, transferring over uh, and after a couple of years of flunking out of community college, <laughs> I graduated UAlbany 2009, summa magna cum laude, whatever the oh, biggest one is, go. that's yeah, the one that's that I awesome. had. I know. It's, a, it's, a, um, it's wild to look back on, but through that time was a real transition for our campus too, right? It was a lot of um, discussion and what we should be doing. Um, and I had remembered what it looked like when, when I was here and the students that were leading it and to come from not a lot of resources and kind of living on my own and working a couple jobs to coming onto a campus full of resources with housing. I live on campus, right? All those things. I was like, we could be doing so much with this. Um, and it was me and a bunch of other leaders who were like, yeah, let's, let's change the face of this. Um, so we lobbied for institutional resources and we lobbied for some changes and we built, rebuilt a conference that had been here since 1995, the Northeast LGBT college conference. And now that conference travels all over and impacts other institutions because of that work. 
Um, but we were able through that conference to bring over 800 students from all over New York State to here to have these discussions about how do we change our institutions and that really got the university's attention and then from there we built some committees to look at what the university could be doing um, because relying on student student leaders to manifest every year to solve all the issues of an institution is not possible. They're not here in the summer when the parent has a question. They're not here in the summer when you come by to, to look at things on a tour, right? Um, they can't address the long-term sustainability issues because they're often turning over and they should be having that experience. Like go, enjoy your four years, be a leader, get involved with what you can get involved with and then go forth. Uh, and that's really what we envisioned is that a more sustainable community. And I would say one of my key indicators of that is we used to have 10 or so um, LGBT identified student leaders in LGBT specific jobs, the Pride Alliance and Gender and Sexuality Concerns. And now we have tons of LGBT student leaders across every area of the institution, right? We still have those LGBT leaders in LGBT specific jobs. But we have even more in every single area. And I think that's my definition of like thriving. How do we get to a place where people are thriving? They can be who they are, wherever they are, doing what they love. And I think when everybody is doing that, we all win. Um, Plus representation in all spaces. Yeah. There's so mm-hmm. much. Absolutely. But we have to learn how to lead yeah. um, in those spaces. And so that's my, that's kind of how I got here. Yeah. I think it kind of kind of leads into another question I have. Like, what extreme uh, initiatives are, are being uh are there to like uplift LGBT students and faculty? So SUNY-wide or UAlbany-specific? Uh, I guess like SUNY-wide. Yeah, let's look at SUNY-wide, right? 64 campuses. Um, the first GSRC is actually built in Oneonta, in Oneonta College. Um, and a couple years ago, they started a Pride, a SUNY Pride conference, which is a, a similar conference, but different than the one that started in 1995 here that was a SUNY-specific one. Um, that's kind of a bit broader, but the SUNY Pride Conference um, usually happens in October, so there's planning for that happening all, all year round. Um, it's funny to look at 64 campuses and think that we don't all have institutional resources, we don't all have GSRCs, we don't all have full-time professionals. I'm one of a handful of full-time people in the entire 64 campuses that do this work year round. Um, so uh, just the past few years, we've been, you know, SUNY has uh, been part of the parade in in New York City, been part of the parade here in, in Albany County, um, has been leading some just g- general drop-in virtual stuff. Some some you know you can you can post what does Pride mean to you. There's a, you can go to what is it SUNY Pride. Uh, let's see if there's a website here SUNY.edu backslash diversity backslash LGBTQ, and you can see um, some of the Pride events that they do year round. That's a great place to to check out, as well as you can see as all the centers and what different campuses have. You'd be surprised. Most campuses have a pamphlet, <laughs> two pamphlets, <laughs> right? Um, here's mental health resources and come out. Those are the two <laughs> things. And I think um, we can do a lot better than two yes. pamphlets, yeah. right? Uh, those aren't the only two things people are navigating. Um, I mean, they're, they're great things but uh, to talk about, but pride, empowerment, community, um, enrichment, uh, thriving, um, euphoria, like those are the things we also want to be talking about. So check out those resources on SUNY Pride as well to see what the SUNY as a system is doing. Um, and then also, you know, UAlbany, we're usually in the Pride Parade downtown. We usually take over the Instagram for UAlbany. So uh, please follow UAlbany Instagram and uh, give us a shout out during Pride Month. 
Are, are they, um, are SUNY going to be marching this year in the Pride Parade in Albany? Uh, the Pride Parade uh, in Albany, I imagine so. I think everybody's, uh, you know, getting their pieces in there. Um, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a, a privy to the exact march line on the Pride, uh, on the, the Pride Center downtowns list. Um, but usually, I think it's one of the other SUNY schools that does the float in New York City. So there's a huge float in New York City. Look for it for SUNY Pride, um, and students can join it if you're a student um, and you want to, and you happen to be in New York City during Pride. You can march alongside the the SUNY uh, float. It's really cool. Yeah. Well, what does what does Pride mean to you? What does Pride mean to me? Um, I think Pride means that you. Um, that you're that you don't feel invisible right that you know you're part of something larger and i don't think that that means that you have to be marching down the middle of the street or that everybody has to know your identity because i don't think that if somebody doesn't know your identity if you, the, the, the idea that people need to come out is already a problematic process right yeah. one coming out is not an lgbt origin it's an origin in women's history and putting women on the market for suitors right it's their coming out or their debut and the idea that lgbt people had to specifically say that they're not making a debut because of a different reason <laughs> or they have or that they're let I me mean, think about the word gay literally means happy how does happy become a slur in the English language, right? Um, and then reclaimed by a community that literally was telling people, um, I wanna be happy. I'm being happy. That's what's happening here. I'm being happy. And I think it, when you're taking care of yourself, um, finding ways to nurture yourself, um, love yourself, regardless of who knows it or who's around you or who's telling you no, that's pride, right? Because it can't be taken away or given. Like you have to find your way into those spaces inside of ourselves that get shamed in so many different ways. Um, and Harvey Milk, our, you know, our alumnus, class of 1951, um, he knew that. I mean, his, his message was we had to come out because um, silence equals death, right? It was a particular time. It echoed through the HIV and AIDS crisis. But today, that pride means many different things to people. Um, and the visibility isn't just one of them, right? Coming out is not the only narrative that we deserve in our concepts. Um, so yeah, that's, I think that's what pride means to me, right? Uh, taking care of yourself, making sure that you're here for the long run with us, um, and finding the places you need to, to be awesome. Mm -hmm. I think something you said earlier really speaks to like, I guess, a really common experience for like queer youth of like not seeing yourself as an adult, like it being hard to imagine a future for yourself. And I definitely had that experience. I didn't think that I would like make it to high school graduation. And now like, like in a, like college, like in SUNY Albany, uh, uh, the one that I had uh, really the only one that I, I imagined myself going to. Awesome, awesome. I like to think that because we have our lights on, that there are students out there that see it and feel drawn to us, right? Whether they never walk through our doors. I hope they never have to walk through my door with an issue. But if you never walk through my door in the center, like I just hope you're walking around with your head held high, having great experiences, living your best life, and know, knowing for maybe the first time just in the last 10 years, that you don't have to be the one educating everybody else about your life to live it, right? That we are holding some of that, that we, no, 
weight is too heavy when, too heavy when everyone lifts. Um, and I think that's part of what the GSRC does when we, we keep our light on. Students can walk with their heads higher, they can hold hands, they can go about their life. And if something happens, they know they can call us. Mm-hmm. I do think that that speaks to like visibility of like you see the the GSRC, you can walk into the, the campus center, look up and you see some of the flags there. And, and it goes into like, like a, a conversation of like representation and like why that's so, so important. I, um, I did like an essay for one of my classes about, uh, about representation in, in specifically uh, children's media. Mm. We're seeing more representation and it, but it also like a lot of like censorship. Um, like there's some uh, like Disney shows that have um, pretty good like queer representation, but they're like banned in a lot of countries. Yeah. But it goes into, I mean, to tie it into the, the library, there's a, a lot of the like banned books are like by queer and like trans authors. And, and just like, it's so, uh, there's so much like censorship against these topics and, and like kids don't, um, one of the reasons like it's so hard to in, like see yourself as an adult is like, you don't see any other like queer adults. Absolutely. And like, I, n- I never saw any, any representation of like trans people that, are, that were adults and like had a successful job and just like living. Yeah, that's also how we get information silos, right? I remember in my high school, the DOS and like library experience, typing things into a little computer <laughs> to try to find search <laughs> items. I, I vividly remember two books in my library. One was a maybe a, a one foot by two foot red book, very, very thin, red outline with a rainbow flag on the front and like some black and white, and it said gay rights. Very, very thin. <laughs> Um, I can almost tell you where it was in the library physically in space. I can see it in my mind. Um, the other one was a very, very small book, maybe a two by three here, um, per, like, you know, decently thick. And it was called Annie on My Mind. And it was a story of two women people in a relationship, two girl people. Um, those were the two books in my entire library that I could find with that information. And... You know, we're looking. I mean, with social media, you can get into these information silos. You can find more representation. That's great. Um, But that doesn't make it available for everybody. And it also means that often if we don't have those inclusive messages from our family and other institutions like education and religion and, and the government, it means we also have to find those places and not tell anyone. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's how we breed shame into, ch- into small children. Um, shame and uh, and disassociation, disconnection from themselves and from other people. Um, you know, the, I was I, I I'm a teacher too, so in my free time I teach in a couple institutions. And one of the things that I was talking to the students about the the ban in Florida for third grade and under from saying gay, Goodness, right? So yes. don't say gay, Bill. Don't say happy. Don't say it. Um, you know that's going to make everybody say it so much more. <laughs> like that, if you tell third graders not to say something, that is going to be the thing that they are saying. Um, but the don't say gay bill, I mean, and, and critical race theory, right? The mm-hmm. idea that nobody was teaching critical race theory, not even in higher education do we teach critical race theory, it really is in, in a JD program right now at that level. Even, I mean, the, the concepts can be, can be brought across, but... Um, the idea that those are the two things that we have chosen, out of all the words and all the issues in our nation ever, those are the two things that people are seeking to ban. Just take that in for a second. Yeah. No other words that you want to ban out there in the world? 
That's all you need to know. Yeah. <laughs> right? No other issues, no other ways of thinking that you want to ban. You know, we're not we're not damning white supremacy. <laughs> we are seriously going after the word gay under third grade. I will tell you this. In third grade, everything was gay. Shoes were gay. <laughs> pogs were gay. I mean, most people I talked to remember, that if they went back in their mind to the first time they heard the word gay, it was in third grade. <laughs> and it meant... And, you, and, they, and people didn't know what it meant. Kids didn't know what it meant. They just knew that you said it and it made you powerful. And then if you asked them, do you know what they would say? What does that word mean? Do you know what they would say? It means happy. And then they'd run away. We both knew it didn't feel happy. <laughs> Those shoes are gay. It doesn't feel happy. What's happy about that? Why were they doing that? You know, um, I'm, I'm a K-12 anti-bullying instructor now. I get to travel all over New York State. One of the honors of my life for sure. And I was in a third grade recently. You know what I realized is right by the door and giant right there, a giant dictionary. <laughs> and so you were hearing these words as a kid without context, without other information. You went to, you, cause you can't ask family and friends. You go up to the, the dictionary and you looked it up. And what did it say? Happy. <laughs> Right? Yeah. Um, and so there becomes this disconnect between the words, how they're being used in power, and what they really mean. Um, and I don't think that serves anybody. No, and, right. and the opposite end of that, when I was in high school, the phrase, that's so gay, was huge. And yeah. it was usually in a negative connotation. Um, so like there became, I feel like, this whole period, too, like going out of high school for me, where it's like reclamation of, like, well, gay is a good thing. Mm. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Having to reclaim the word happy in the world yeah. is one of those things we will have to, there's a historian out there, we need to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, and I definitely have I, like a similar experience of like knowing uh, like what the, like, I kind of looked at that like gay and like lesbian as like bad words and just use them in like that. And <laughs> I remember I was, I was with, uh, I had a friend over and um, <laughs> it was it was kind of funny because I my dog like was being stubborn and like wouldn't come inside, and uh, and I was like Molly, you little lesbian, come inside. <laughs> and my friend was like, you can't say that. That's a bad word. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't even know where we got it either. And, like I I didn't know what it what it meant. I just. I guess heard it on the playground or something. <laughs> you hear it, we recreate it. A while ago um, at a conference, a young man came to me and was like, you know, my, my kid got sent home, he's in third grade, right? And this is, <laughs> I think we gotta talk about third grade. Florida's <laughs> trying. I was in third grade and he got sent home for saying no homo, what do I do? And I was like, because now it's, you know, no, it's no homo, pause, there's a lot of other messages that are just, I mean, all anti-LGBTQ language, and this is really important to know, all anti-LGBTQ plus language is actually shaming men people, people assigned not birth, for being anything like adjacent to liking anything or being um, in connection to women's, is- women's issues or needs or, or identity. And so it's really an attack on women and femininity. Um, there's only one word that attacks women people for being unavailable to men in a relationship, for being too masculine and too large, and sometimes for riding a motorcycle. Um, you can figure out what that word means. Um, but if you actually look that word up, it means a man-made structure that holds back water. And it's about saying that she's unavailable and un- un- unavailable to men and, and sexuality and emotions. Um, so you got to look at your slurs to understand them. And no homo is such an interesting phenomenon because... Um, I most often hear it because guys want to give each other compliments. 
Yeah. Did you know this? They want to get. Cl- they want to be close. The problem is they have to say they're not gay in order to do it. They're they're unhappy about giving you a compliment right now. They're not happy about it. Um, they're not gay. Um, but the no homo thing was pretty interesting. And I so I asked him, "Do you say no homo?" Oh yeah. Okay. Do you say it in front of your friends? Oh yeah. Do they laugh? Yes. Oh yeah, they do. And they laugh. Okay. Well, is your kid there? <laughs> because. You told a funny joke, right? You told a funny joke. Your friends laughed. And then your kid went to, to school and told a funny joke. Doesn't know how to navigate it. He just knows that if he does that, that's supposed to be the response. You know, and um, you can really, at a young age, take out some of these words and figure out in your own life, when did you first learn how to other someone, right? Mm-hmm. My nephew, when he was in first grade, came home from the bus. I asked him if he wanted to play a game. And he was like, no, that's a baby's game. Y'all are babies. And I was like, what? Don't do this. I know. I was like, don't do this. But I was like, fine, we're going to go be babies up here. We're going to do our baby thing over here. Uh, He did not like that. You're like, a second later, he's like, oh my God, I want to be a baby. I'm like, of course, you can be a baby with us. But take out baby, put whatever you want. Mm -hmm. I'm not like that because people like that are like that. I'm not like that. I'm a big boy, right? I don't cry, right? Don't be a baby. Don't be a. God, you could add all sorts of language that we use in sport culture to shame people into not being soft, feminine, like a woman, right? Throwing, running. Toxic um, masculinity. Toxic Specifically messages that if they are not acting a certain way, then they're not real men. And therefore, what else is there? Right? Mm -hmm. So I think if we really look at this... If we are going to if we are going to address things like the wage gap, if we are going to address women's inequality, we have to stop this language. Yeah, and like I, it was hard like growing up as like, cause like now I'm I'm pretty open about like I'm a trans woman, yeah. and but it, especially like as a kid growing up, it's very, it's very like gendered and. The anything that was remotely feminine was was evil, and I I didn't I hated I hated anything feminine because I was it was like it was scary because it was everyone like I was taught that that um, femininity is wrong and like evil, and it's hard to like reject that and to like kind of embrace it now. But absolutely, that's self work right there. Right. It can be hard to like reject those ideas of of masculinity that anything anything feminine is is inherently bad. Absolutely, and we learn those at such young ages. We don't just learn how to be good when we're kids. We learn how to be good girls and good boys. Mm-hmm. We internalize that at a very young age. And there's nothing wrong with being good or having gender. <laughs> it's just that there's so much gender to have. <laughs> and people should be able to have all of the gender that they want and need. Instead of mm-hmm. living the binary, which, I mean, even with you know, the out-of-control, like, gender reveal parties, oh, gosh, which yeah. is so, so problematic in and of themselves, it's, and it's a newer phenomenon um, that I just don't understand, <laughs> you know? Um, I mean, parents have died doing these, like, oh, setting wow. wildfires with, like, how they choose to, like, do these gender reveals or, like doing crazy things that backfire and I know one man died. I'm like, now you're not even gonna be there for your child, like, you know? So, you know. It's devastating how we haven't actually told the truth about these things and thought of them as rituals or rites of passages, when really they root back to, um, 
you know, white European colonial um, upper class systems, you wanted to announce that you had a boy or a girl because your boy would be the heir, right? Would be the king, would keep the, keep the community um, safe, the possibility of lineage, the possibility of continuation. Naming conventions. Naming I mean, it's, conventions. It's very patriarchal. Absolutely. Um, though we're breaking more and more. We've, I just read an article <laughs> recently that people are opting not to, like, I'm married. I yeah. do not take my husband's name. Yeah. I still have my own. It's tied to all my academic achievements. He's cool with that. But we've had talking. We had offspring, like, Whose name do they get? He's mm-hmm. like, well, mine, of course. I'm like, well, why is that? Let's 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 unpack that. Why does it have to be your name? You know. Yeah. So, but it's it's nice that people are having these conversations and like, why why does it have to be? Yeah. You know. Let's just talk about it. You know, let's just talk uh, about the truth of these things rather than just imagining that we're waking up and this poker game and who has money and who has resources and who has power has just always been happening. You know, it's not that case. We, we wake up playing the game and we look to other people on how to continue and we follow people's lead because they seem to have the most chips. But the reality is the rules were set a long time ago and they aren't what we think they are. Mm-hmm. Right? And LGBTQ plus people um, are the symptom, like, like not, not them, but the impact on LGBTQ plus people, the targeting, the violence, the bullying, the harassment, all of those things, they're symptoms of the larger problems that we have not addressed. When we have not addressed systemic sexism, racism, classism, uh, disability, if we haven't addressed those things, then we cannot see how every single one of us is impacted by the messages, who's attractive and who's not, who can have a job and who can't, who's a real family and who's not, mm-hmm. right? When we address that, we will all be free. Yeah, it, like all these issues, they, they tie into each other. Like, if they're, if they're not just one, like singular issue we we deal with racism then we deal with homophobia like they're all intermingled yeah i mean lgbtq people are people of color are black indigenous etc prior to colonialism every single country every single continent had multiple concepts of gender multiple concepts of sexuality but afterwards we see a very specific one Um, and that specific one is meant to um, talk about whiteness to talk about masculinity and to pass it only down on that on that angle and so this is why disproportionately we see the impact on indigenous and black bodies um, the policing of their bodies around sexuality uh, around attractiveness no wonder there's trans women of color leading the conversations about about trans women in the united states mm-hmm. um and it, you know do you hear about trans men in popular culture we got elliot page and who else <laughs> Good question, right? Chaz Bono. Chaz Bono. Yeah. You don't even know Chaz for Chaz, you know, because of Cher. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> right? Yeah. But name me another LGBTQ, tra- name me another trans man in popular society. That's a good point. Name me a black one. <laughs> I, right? I, I had a couple and then I, I can't think of any like black ones. But. Yeah. When people are moving towards masculinity, we think we, do, we don't worry about them as much, right? Nobody's worried about me using the men's bathroom. Right? It is specifically um, attacking people, uh, moving anywhere near or challenging the mailbox um, in any kind of way. Um, and trans women disproportionately, you don't get that message, right? I mean, and as a guy person, I don't have to be the most masculine guy in the world to be a guy. Nobody's going to question that. But that is what we tell trans women. Yeah, the passing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. If you are not the picture of femininity, then, then I get to call you whatever I want. Excuse me. Right, but <laughs> that is not going to fly anymore. Yeah, I think it's big. It's hard to like please people because it's when I performed like 
hyper femininity. It was, it felt like, um, like people were saying, oh, you're just like performing what you think femininity is. That you're not like, you're not a real girl. Mm -hmm. And then, and then if I um, presented like masculine in any way, like how can you be a girl if you're you're dressing (laughs) masculinely? Like either way, it just you can't win. (laughs) Something that 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 people who on the cis spectrum do not understand or experience, right? <laughs> Dolly Parton knows she's performing femininity, <laughs> right? She's got that interview that's like, you know, where, uh, how long does it take to do your hair? And she's like, how would I know? I'm not even in the room, <laughs> right? She knows exactly what she's doing. She jokes about it, etc. That's a hyper form of femininity. Nobody's expecting to live up to that ideal. Um, and yet when, you know, I ask a classroom of women people, like if you go into the men's section of Macy's and you buy sweatpants and a sweatshirt and come to school wearing it the next day, are you cross-dressing? And they're like, I am not. And I'm like, <laughs> let's think about that again, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we don't we don't challenge that in the same kind of way. Um, and it is, it's binary thinking, but we are all affected by it. I mean, kids at very young ages putting on, going into the bathrooms and during school and putting on pounds of makeup, right? Um, boys thinking that they have to be physical um, and not talk about their their mentality or their lives um, with other people to be not vulnerable to be not like women don't be a sissy don't be a baby um, these are coming out in these other mental health ways but you know we don't I mean I do not know personally of an incident I'm sure it's occurred in which a woman person has shot up a high school right we see disproportionate responses by men people that people miss as depression and a number of other things that involve being physical and violent and bringing them to school for respect right and that comes out of a community that has shamed people for being their true self and not being a picture of something that does not actually exist yeah i think it speaks to the culture like what you said earlier um like men having friends is seen as feminine and gay just to like compliment your friends yeah it's like a bromance you, you can't even have friends without <laughs> without like the culture like attacking you for it or be well groomed mm. you know the metrosexual like that's yeah. a whole other oh word gosh. for this it is, metrosexual is not having sex on the metro don't do it <laughs> it's probably illegal um we love putting the word sexual on the end of everything. Right. It, it actually is not my favorite, right? Because it's a real mess. Okay. Uh, we have a culture of sexualness. Everybody's going to be sexual all the time. Uh, and that hypersexuality, especially put on men, especially put on men that they are going to be, want to be, always going to be um, sexual, that hypersexuality, then we just throw the word sexual on the end of everything. Uh, metrosexual, the most common definition I have for that is guys who take care of themselves. Is that, is that yeah. how you would generally yeah. say it? Yeah. Right, get your hair done, get your eyebrows plucked, get your cuticles pushed back because it's healthy for them. Um, and yet, because that pushes people out of heterosexuality as men, at least challenges them. That's why they created this word. Uh, but it's not talking about their who they're attracted to. It's not talking about their ability to be sexual. It's talking about their gender expression. Here is a dominant group talking about their gender expression, wanting to move while still maintaining access to heterosexuality. Super interesting. Because who takes care of themselves? Should be everyone, yeah. you would yeah. think. But what's the message we receive from the larger oh. society? Who should take care of themselves? Women. For whom? Yeah. For why? For, for themselves? <laughs> you know? We like to think it's for ourselves, yeah. but it's often because for men, right? And this yeah. is the narrative that all women are there for all men, quality breathing. 
it's one of the reasons why your guy friend can say, can she bring somebody for me? Ugh. It's why we can have The Bachelor. <laughs> it's why we can have this love blind, right? All the <laughs> like, reality shows, all of them yeah. also operate within the binary. If you just put some girls and boys together, it will work out. Is that how heterosexuality works, people? Um, <laughs> I question that. You could just, you know, it'll just be what it is. Uh, and I think that, you know, that, that, I mean, that sucks for everybody. But disproportionately, it, um, you know, it kills our ability to be ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, in all the beautiful renditions that we have the possibility of being in. It's so hard to just like exist in modern culture without facing scrutiny and like you it's there's no good way to exist in the world anymore. Like Harry Potter. That's all I have to say about <laughs> that whole mess. Right. And um that like I, I grew up reading Harry Potter and it was like it kinda it felt like a, a home for me to have this this world of, of like magic that I uh, that I could like run away to, but then it felt like such a such a gut punch to hear about like all the things that J.K. Rowling was saying because it she says it's all in the name of like feminism and for women, but it's it's exclusionary yeah. feminism, yeah. right? And that's not that's not feminism. And here we are running away to a place where we feel we're not just running away, right? We're running towards Mm -hmm. where many other people also are. We feel like for a moment that we're having the same cultural moment as everybody else. We like the same things and we get this and we're part of it. And then what you get, the people that are your icons in these moments say, no, not you, Mm -hmm. not you. And then you imagine that all these other people who are also fans could possibly feel like that, could feel like, here's this thing that we all grew up loving and doing I didn't grow up in Harry Potter um, but I, I, I understand the cult classic connection yeah. and you know to feel a part of something and then to feel as though here's another place where one of maybe the only place where you felt safe for a while gets ripped away and possibly everybody else that's connected to it that gets to stay because they don't look or identify like me mm-hmm. they might also feel that way that is it's terrifying because there are few, so few safe spaces to begin with or safer spaces or spaces where we can just stop thinking for a moment and exist. And then to know that that, that too doesn't get to be ours. Uh, it's hard. Um, it's and intersectionally when we see all these, even Harry Potter, a lot of, even when we do have great icon moments, they're still white. Mm-hmm. Right. And so communities of color and black and indigenous people never get to have those multi layers. We're just getting into some Disney stuff um, that might have or Pixar stuff that has that have more renditions of families and identities and we're still not seeing LGBTQ um, queer issues in those spaces as well it's not about perfect representation right because nothing's going to be perfect mm-hmm. um, but the continued silence is so clear yeah I think it's important in like representation to have uh, these stories told by the people like who it is their story like Turning Red was, uh, it was really, it was really a personal story by uh, the director. She was a Chinese Canadian girl growing up in, in Toronto. It's, that movie really spoke to like her personal story. And look at the heat it got too. Yeah. Like, you know, because they showed pads and talking about crushes, like mm-hmm. what's wrong with those things and how is that age appropriate, like inappropriate? Mm-hmm. I think we're scared of our own messaging, right? I mean, 
in, in, a, in a class of 200 today, I could ask them how many of them feel that, the, that they received comprehensive sexual health information about their own bodies mm-hmm. and their own sexuality, right? And two people, five, maybe 10 in 200 will raise their hand. A lot of boy people, right? And I try to say not, not by Google or cousin so-and-so, right? Like <laughs> really feel like you got comprehensive sexual health. It is so far and few between. And when we haven't received comprehensive sex, sexual health about our own bodies, how the heck are we supposed to talk or engage with somebody else's. We have people or schools that are still teaching abstinence only education and that in itself is an inherent issue. We don't know how to talk about our bodies without shaming them. And think about that generationally. Our parents, their parents, the parents of today also didn't get that information. So they also don't know how to do it. And the older we get, the more removed we get from the memory of what that actually felt like uh, and how we actually navigated that. But I think if people really looked back, they will remember feeling unsure unclear, shamed, awkward in in their relationships as well. Is that what they want for the next generation? I don't. Yeah. I, I remember specifically in like sex ed, it was like like a a small unit in my, my health class and I remember asking, are we gonna like when do we talk about like like gay and trans people? And my teacher said it's not it's not in the curriculum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wasn't in mine either. I went to high school, two thousand four, two thousand eight. Yeah, so. I mean, I just graduated. I'm I'm a freshman in that, yeah. and I took that, um, the health class. I think it was must have been a sophomore or, or a junior. So I was, it was only a couple of years ago. We are passing this down generation to generation, right? And it's it's no surprise. Yeah, it shouldn't be. You have to go to college in order to get <laughs> further education. Not everybody goes to college. Not everybody and then, goes to college. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you just stay in, you know, I come from a small conservative town. So they're only just now approaching the, uh, the, the gay issue, as they call it there. And they're like, well, we can have a pride parade. I'm like, but you're not supporting the people that, that you would be celebrating this parade. So maybe <laughs> you should start somewhere else <laughs> you know, we definitely think of lgbtq as an add-on right as something that we need like an upload like like let me get the new terminology yeah. um but the reality is we just haven't talked about sexism and the history of classism um in truth we haven't we watch it on bridgerton <laughs> i mean bridgerton i mean there's a lot of rewriting of some things right now that will also create a false narrative of the world but um you know, we look at these old movies and we icon, you know, the kings and the queens and we have, we give them totally different body types. Hamilton. Oh gosh. We rewrite these things in a number of ways. I mean, Hamilton is brilliant. It is brilliant. And right. There's a narrative inside of there that can create, um, misinformation for people. And I think when we, why are, why are we afraid of being authentic? We're more likely to ban than to just be authentic. And I think that's what needs to be looked into because LGBTQ plus is not an add on. Right. Um, we don't need, we, you know, if we didn't face a similar oppression that needed numer- numerical majorities to be able to push back against, we would not even know each other. <laughs> like, what do we have in common? <laughs> right. The acronyms do not have many things in common. We're all navigating different things at different levels, but we get pushed together because of the similar experience of impact and needing numerical majority of people to push back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think once we see that, that that narrative is not just unique to LGBTQ+, but it is across communities that get marginalized, people are not minorities. They get minoritized. When we see that, 
then we, you know, the more we can come together in coalition, the, the, the better we can actually start to address these issues for all of us. Mm-hmm. And it's, and I think the terminology too, it, 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 it is really important because like the term minority is like, and even when it was talking about women, that's, that's half the population that the term minority for like when talking about women just doesn't make sense. But that's your cue, right? That's a really important, as a sociologist, I love words. Um, and when you actually, like any word you're, you're curious about, you should look it up. Mm-hmm. Because when you think about minority, where else do you hear the word minority? I guess in a lot of statistics and... Okay. Where else in government do you hear the word minority and majority? Uh, leaders. Um, Senate, uh, House representatives. And- Talking about power. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Minority and majority is not about numerical numbers. It's about who has power and who doesn't. Mm-hmm. People are not minorities. They are minoritized. Right. That's a good point. You know, we talk about a lot of, of you know outside the community, but there's within the community. There's also a lot of strife uh, right. between the different um, parts of the acronym, right? Um, and like, what do we do there? You yeah. know, to to support each other within the community. Right. Like, there's, uh, I've I've seen people on Twitter use the hashtag LGB drop the T. Oh yeah. That's crazy to me yeah. yeah you know i mean but that's but that's part and parcel for the movement the lgb has always dropped the t <laughs> the t has been silent for a long time i mean look at new york state legislation right um uh sexual orientation non-discrimination act sonda um it was going forward with gender identity as part of it the the narrative on the floor was we have to drop gender identity to get through we get through sonda and we'll come back for the t what was that 80s 90s in new york state they just got through in 2016 um, with GENDA, Gender Expression Non-Discrimination Act. So thank you for 20, 30 years of dropping the T. Um, because that, but we can't keep doing this. We yeah. keep thinking, I'll get my left arm through and I'll come back for my right. We can't cut each other up into little tiny pieces and only take the pieces we like or that we think we will like, right? Mm-hmm. Because you, we have to be able to hold all of us. And it's not like we, you come out and you get the, you know, Ellen DeGeneres' nod, um, you get the toaster oven with the instruction manual on how not to be oppressive. We are, nobody is immune to oppression, but it is learned, right? And, and because it is learned, it can be unlearned. But when, you, when the narrative is, well, I'm good, I'm a good guy, I'm the good one. People like me are good and accepted and would have things if people like you didn't act like this and bring us all down. You need to look yourself in the mirror on that one, <laughs> right? Um, because this is hard work. We do not know how to hold each other. We have never lived in a world that has been racially just, that has been gender equitable, um, that has been as expansive as, you know, people are not limited. <laughs> Emotion is not limited, gender is not limited. But we put limits on ourselves and each other. And we do that not just because of the day. We do that in power. And if we can address that, if we can create space for ourselves to exist, um, then we can create space for other people. And when we do that, we simultaneously recreate space for ourselves to exist. Black communities, indigenous communities, LGBT communities in many ways know that. We have had to forge the spaces we need to survive. Um, now we have to see that more clearly, um, that our, our liberation is inextricably bound, right? It is not disconnected. 
and we're not going to come back for anybody next time. We're all going, or none of us. That's yeah. my opinion. And I really like that there's been a really a push for intersectionality in in my uh, taking. I'm taking an introduction to feminisms class, and it it really does talk about like how these issues are are intermingled and and like talks about intersectionality like that. Awesome. That needs to, I think there needs to be front and center because the fact that we've talked about white feminism and then you know intersectionality and instead of it just being intersectional across the board, but we're still talking about white feminism and how that's an issue and it's a huge. Yeah. You know, you have to challenge your assumptions and who you're including and who you're excluding and why that is. Every day you should ask yourself, why is this? Why am I thinking this way? Um, how can I be better? Um, one thing that I uh, am constantly looking at and have friends within the community have brought up to me is our constant need to label each other. We have to fit inside these boxes. And I know tons of people that are just like, put me under the queer umbrella. That's where I am. Why do I have to be anything else? Why do you feel the need for me to identify something further You know, as a hindrance almost? Mm-hmm. I mean, words have power and meaning. Um, there's a difference between words that gets chosen by us and words that get put on us, right? And I think you can look back at every time that communities that have been uh, majority that have the power can define us for us, including whole divisions like psychology um, and uh, the medical community. When they can define us for us, we don't get uh, empowering words. We get Greek gods, hermaphrodite, like (laughs) babies up until just recently have been diagnosed as Greek gods. <laughs> but we you know in the English language we call it hermaphrodite, which sounds much scarier. Um, but uh, that's not, people not, are not Greek gods, to my, to my knowledge, but that could be cool. Um, but the intersex community, right, using that word as liberation, um, using the word happy, well, you know, brilliantly, happy. You know, the idea that LGBT people have a choice that they make mentally. Um, when you think back on it, in the United States, in white, upper-class communities, have white women always had a choice to get married? No. I mean, there's been a lot of, even like, I guess, like marrying for, for power and, and uh, wealth. Here's yeah. your dowry. Right? <laughs> right. And did they, could they always sign contracts to get married or any of those things? Sometimes they were, right? They were, they were given very often. So we go, oh, it's so old-fashioned that he asked my father. No, <laughs> that was the person who used to have to sign, right? It's not old-fashioned. It's just recreating that violence. Um, but the about men people in our society historically, white upper-class men people, they didn't get to choose who they loved. They didn't get to just love somebody in that kind of context. They had to marry out of duty, right? And so they never had a choice. The idea that upper-class white gay men, white men who loved other men, um, started when, when they were questioned, what are you doing? That they said, I'm gay. Mm-hmm. That they said, I'm happy. Right? That was not a choice that people who, who could be attracted to the opposite sex, but even if you weren't attracted to this person you got married to, you could be. And so you could do, you could do some acts uh, and you get pushed together. That was not a choice that they got to make. So it was scoffed at gay people that were making a choice to be happy. What do you mean you're happy? That's not how this works, <laughs> right? And happy becomes this negative slur that has to be reclaimed in the United States. 
queer meant eccentric and interesting. They were a weird sort of fell. Lots of books and things. Right, had been worldly <laughs> in the in Europe. Comes over to the United States and being different, standing out is bad. My dad played a game called Smear the Queer as a kid. What? Smear the queer, uh, which is like reverse tag. One person is queer and everybody else tackles that. That's yes, so odd. absolutely <laughs> existed. But what was the messaging? Oh, that uh, no. what was the messaging? But it was about not standing out. It was about not being different. And when we really look at that history and how it has affected all of us, it's not LGBTQ plus people that were targeted for that. It's LGBTQ people that challenged that, and then got targeted, right, for being happy. Um, I think. I mean, I think now we live in a world where people are supposed to marry for love and love is idealism, but it's less than a hundred years old, and and we're still trying to figure it out. People were not doing it perfectly. Divorce, all the other things, yeah. happy ever after, and all of those other pieces. <laughs> but the language that gets put on us versus the language that we choose, that we choose for liberation. Words are how we communicate, mm-hmm. you know. And if we can't have a common language, um, it's hard to communicate the human experience. It's one of the reasons we probably take so many selfies. <laughs> I take pictures of my food, right? I share oh, yes. so many things on my Instagram, <laughs> share all these things, trying to encapsulate something that is impossible. I mean, you how many, how many books do you think are in this library? Oh, there's well over a million. Millions, millions yeah. and millions. And this isn't even all of them, right? How many libraries across the nation and the world? People writing down, trying to encapsulate something impossible to ever finish the human experience. That's how many gender identities there are. That's how many sexual orientations. Nobody does their identity exactly the same, right? We are all trying to encapsulate and then try to communicate through the limited language, at least in ours, of English, what it is to be alive on this planet. And people can put those words on me, but they won't know me, right? We have to connect with one another to get to know each other. That's the only way. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I- I guess for my last question, yeah, uh, what advice would you give to LGBT students coming to U Albany? I would say uh, find your home here, wherever it is. Right? If it's athletics, if it's band, if it's the library, if it's uh, multicultural groups, if it's gender sexuality based groups, faith based groups, uh, come here. Find the places that make you shine, that give you euphoria, that make you thrive. Right? And we'll be here every step along the way. That's wonderful. We are. We're all here. We're supporting everyone that comes uh, through our hallowed halls of the (laughs) university. Um, Thank you both so much for joining. Courtney, this has been a great conversation. I'm so glad. And Melody, thank you uh, for inviting Courtney to come join us. I'm so honored to be here. Thanks so much for hanging out with me. Well, thank you for coming on to the podcast. Anytime. Well, before I wrap up, of course, I have to ask our very last question of the show. Um, we like asking what well, you've been reading lately, because of course we're currently sitting in a library and we do a lot of reading here. Um, so what are you reading, uh, whether it be for pleasure or some research you're doing? Um, yeah, so uh, I'll start with you. Yeah, I just finished, um, well, I'm, I guess I'm not currently reading it because I just finished it, but it's, it's really been on my mind a lot. <laughs> it was a book by, uh, it was a memoir by uh, Meredith Toulouson. Uh, called Ferris. Uh, I really liked, I really liked that book because it was, it it dealt with a lot of intersectionality. Uh, it dealt with uh, like privilege and, and power. It was uh, she's a, a trans woman who's Filipino, but she appears white because she's albino. She's albinism, and it was, um, 
it was it sp- spoke to a lot of like how she saw herself versus how people perceived her. Absolutely. Did you get to see her speak when she spoke here at UAlbany? No, I, I just uh, I was looking for uh, books by trans authors in the library, and I found that one. Yeah, uh, we actually have a book signed, her book signed by her in the GSRC to the center because um, she spoke here last semester. Um, that's a great book. Yeah. Um, and a fabulous person. Really great talk and yeah, I didn't even know she spoke here. I wish I would yeah, have a chance right. to... Yeah, it's about getting connected. Join the GSRC listserv. Hey, uh, go to <laughs> albany.edu backslash LGBT. Sign up on our listserv and you'll get information and, and things that are going on on campus. Um, but that's a great book. And it's so hard to find those authors, especially ones that really speak to the intersectionality of our own lives. Um, sometimes we're just we're looking for pieces of ourselves in mm-hmm. other people's stories. So, uh, what do I read? Um, I read today. I read a lot of Excel spreadsheets. Really. <laughs> so exciting, <laughs> right? Students and student things like that. But honestly, uh, I have dyslexia, so and with dyslexia, reading is very hard for me. I read ten pages an hour. I love movies. Whenever I'll be honest, when I had to do a book report, I watched the movie. Um, (laughs) you know what I mean and I didn't know exactly why I was doing it until I was older Um, but yeah I mean reading for me is hard I don't do it for pleasure but I do but I am able to absorb information very quickly Um, so I learn differently uh, and I read differently Um, but I love words and the understanding of Mm -hmm. of people and things I think that's what helps to shape how I can communicate with others as well I mean I uh I listen to a lot of podcasts too, which is essentially an audiobook, but without the pretense of a book. Absolutely. And I will say audiobooks do count as reading. Oh, right. so I have I have these arguments with people all the time. They're like, "Well, you're not actually like," but I'm like, "It's a book. It's just yeah. being read to you, so it counts as reading." <laughs> that's yeah. and that's what I have needed in my life. I've been listening to a lot of books. I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, since you don't have a book, is there a movie or a TV show recently? Oh my gosh, what am I watching? Bridgerton, I heard. <laughs> I, I've been, I, I just finished Our Flag Means Death, if you've oh, watched that. Oh, no, I it's, have not. It's so good. It's uh, by uh, directed by Taika Waititi. Yeah. Um, it's about uh, Blackbeard and Steed Bonnet, who they... <laughs> basically a, a pirate rom-com about these two these two pirates <laughs> oh my gosh my favorite lgbt movie movie is really um an old mafia movie uh, two women in a relationship called bound loved that movie from a very young age as a kid came out in the 90s jennifer tilly and, and gina gershon yeah <laughs> uh when i uh but i just watched the 42 which is a a, a real life story i think in um in spain um, about uh, 42 gentlemen who were part of a, who, who were gender and sexuality expansive, who created a kind of um, uh, fraternity and um, and spent time together and, you know, and had all these beautiful different genders and experiences. It, it ends probably exactly as you might think um, because of the history, but it was a, uh, not to be a spoiler alert, but, um, <laughs> but you know, it, it's beautiful right up through that. And I, what I did was was while they were dancing and it was beautiful, that's when I shoved the movie off. Because I was like, this is how I want to remember it. Yeah. Uh, but I would definitely suggest just to kind of think differently about history to watch that movie. There you go. Now you have something to watch this, uh, the weekend or wherever, when you're watching this in your free time, uh, or listening to this rather in your free time, you can go and watch that. Yeah. Um, 
For as far as what I'm reading, this year has been my goal of picking up abandoned series that I've abandoned throughout. <laughs> so I have my bookshelves have just a bunch of books with bookmarks in them that I like come back to. <laughs> um, so I don't know how many people are um, familiar with Charlene Harris, but she wrote the series that turned into the True Blood series on HBO. Oh. Um, so I'm reading the eighth book of that series, uh, the Soki Stackhouse books, uh, from Dead to Worse. Um, very, very different from the show. <laughs> Those books are. Um, and I know that her fans were not too uh, happy with the way that she ended the last book, mm. uh, much like how people are bad at George R.R. R. Martin and, and the whole Game of Thrones situation because mm. they haven't finished that yet, so they don't know how the ending <laughs> is actually going to be, and they all hated the end of Game of Thrones show. Oh, no. so, um, but yeah, that's, that's what I've been reading uh, lately. Um, Nothing so much for research-wise, though a lot of library literature is very dry. I will, I will say that. <laughs> uh, so I, I prefer sharing what I, uh, I read for pleasure. But. Oh, yeah. So everyone has their reading lists and their watch lists now. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and again, thank you both for joining us. It's, it's been great. And Courtney, if you ever want to come back, you're more than welcome to join us again on the show. I live here. Just come on up and tell me what's going on. I'd be happy to be here. <laughs> there you go. Happy um, Pride. Yes, happy yeah, Pride. Happy Pride. Um, so, you know, to all our librarians with Lattes listeners, thank you for sticking with us. As always, I'm Amanda Lau. I'll catch you next time. And if you haven't been able to get to the libraries lately, what are you waiting for? We hope to see you soon.